Welcome to Getting Goosebumps, The Power of Storytelling, the weekly podcast helping you to craft stories that inspire, entertain, and convince. Each week, listen to leading industry experts, from top marketers and CEOs, to producers and writers from the entertainment industry. Learn how to elevate your brand message and spare your audience into action. Hello and welcome to Getting Goosebumps. I'm your host, Brian Adams, and this week I had the absolute pleasure of talking to Andy Bounds. Andy is Britain's Sales Trainer of the Year and international bestseller of a number of books, including my favourite, The Jelly Effect, and also his latest title, Top Dog, Impress and Influence Everyone You Meet. Andy's got a very interesting story in terms of how he became an expert in communication and Andy discusses how to craft an engaging story that will persuade your audience into action. On this episode, he delves into the techniques to achieve this whilst revealing how to break your point down to attain maximum effect. Sometimes it's the power of asking the right questions that elevates your connection to your customers, and Andy gives us advice and tips on what questions to ask. So from this episode, you'll gain the skills required to sell your ideas with clarity, persuasion and conviction so sit back and enjoy the episode it's a great one well hello and welcome to another show this week i am i'm dead excited actually i'm very pleased to be joined by the one and only andy bounds hi andy welcome to the show and thanks for coming on today hey brian you're welcome cool how are you doing yeah good thank you how about you I'm very good, very good, having a good day. It's, uh, the sun's shining, I'm in a great mood, and really looking forward to, uh, to talking to you today. So, Andy, I've known you for a number of years, possibly just before you became a big shot speaker, author, and world dominator. Um, I think it was around the time of your first book, The Jelly Effect. When, when, when did that come out? It was 2007. Wow. Time flies when you're working really hard, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, it does. Now, Andy, I've heard you tell this story a few times, but I think um, I love hearing it every time as well, and it sets the scene for the audience. Um, can I ask you to uh, set the scene by telling our audience about your childhood and how that influenced and accelerated your career opportunities and brought you to this very moment in time? Yeah, sure. So, so my job now is to help my customers communicate and sell better, um, and my insights into how best to do this stem from a number of things but but the one that people are most interested in <laughs> rather than me talking about all the research I've done um, <laughs> is about my mum who's blind um, and so when I was born um, you know dad went back to work and I and mum, mum gave up a job to look after me and so I the person who taught me to speak can't see so as a child, when you're learning to speak, you learn all sorts of different things. But a lot of the time, you get visual cues from people. I do this with my kids, you know, look at that, it's a dog, look at that, it's a cat. But mum didn't have that. So she taught me in a different way than, than, than other people would do, which meant I sort of naturally became very good at explaining things. So if I'm asked to describe something to my mum, I might be able to do it in two sentences, whereas most people might take 10 or 20. And it's not that I'm better than them. It's just I've had a lifetime of doing it that way. Now, my job now, as I say, is to help people communicate and sell better. And when you talk to other people, they're very much blind to your agenda and your priorities. And they see things differently than you do. So the ability to explain things in two sentences instead of 10 
really sets you apart from the crowd, and that's what I do now. Brilliant, brilliant, and you know it, it sets it up really sets our conversation up really well because part of the job of um, telling an effective story is obviously uh, being able to communicate with with absolute clarity, and I guess the testament to um, to what to what you just said there, Andy, is you've had lots of success bringing out uh, a number of books that really each one has honed in on a slightly different aspect of that sort of course skill. And I thought we'd spend a bit of time today looking at the relationship uh, between storytelling, obviously, because that's the you know, nature of the show, and um, an influence which is at the heart of your your latest book. Uh, and I love this title as well, uh, Top Dog, Impress and Influence Everyone You Meet, <laughs> which is just kind of like, how can you walk past that on uh, on a shelf and not buy it? Because like, everybody wants to impress and influence everyone you meet. It's kind of a bold statement, that Andy. So I'm interested to hear um, how we back that up. And um, I'm only halfway through that book, so um, I'm, I'm looking forward to some of the sort of insights today. But... Just first, tell us, um, so what motivated you to write that, that particular book? Um, a, a couple of things, but, but the main one was I, I suddenly realised that there's a lot of people in life um, who lose before they've even started and they haven't realised they've done it. So let's say you've got someone who's going to a potential customer and they're excited about it. It's a very important customer. They're seeing a very senior buyer there. And so they go in and they open the mouth and the first thing they say is something like, thank you so much for sparing the time to see me today. I've really been looking forward to this meeting. Uh, and as they say it, they think they're being very polite. But what they're doing is they're in many ways they're being deferential because they're saying, thank you so much for sparing your time. You know, so in effect, they're saying you're the top dog. Uh, it's almost like my time's not as important as yours. I mean, it's just a, a little example of the things that people do. And, and at the end of the meeting, that, that you know, the customer will say, well, let me just go and have a look at budgets. And they say, yes, please go and have a look at budgets. And I'll wait for you to come back to me when you finish doing your important budget check. And, and a lot of conversations are like that where without realizing we're actually giving the other person all the power. Thanks for sparing your time. Yes, please go and have a look at your budgets. And yes, of course, I'll go and speak to your subordinates. In fact, why don't I just keep speaking to your subordinates? So... What this book does and what I'm doing a lot in my day job now when I work with other companies is just helping people come across as an equal or as a peer of the person they're speaking to. Because, of course, if you do that, you've got a much greater chance of influencing them. Brilliant. Brilliant. OK, I'm going to move swiftly on just to distract the audience from thinking back to how I interview, how I introduced this very interview. <laughs> 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 keep talking Brian we're all good yeah so let's jump uh, straight straight into it so come on Andy um, so what are your top tips for influencing someone in a, in a sales scenario okay so um, there's one golden rule and then there are various techniques but the golden rule is this you always have to appeal to the other person's self-interest and by that you have to say something that they perceive to be of benefit you know, so if you say to somebody, um, yeah, we'd love to work with you because we can design an award-winning website for you, that's only, okay. that's only okay if the other person wants an award-winning website. Sometimes, I mean, you know more about websites than I ever could, but people don't want website for a website. They want more sales or to be perceived a certain way by the market or to annoy the competition or to generate leads or whatever it might be. So 
what we have to do is we have to find what the other person perceives to be important, and we often do that by good questioning and, and so on. But when we've got that, it's then a question of using various techniques which relate back to this. So um, one of the techniques I advise people use a lot, which sounds quite childish, is B-O. So rather than thinking of body language, uh, sorry, body odour, <laughs> B-O stands for benefit and option. So if you want someone to say yes, you give them a benefit to them in a way they see valuable of mm-hmm. saying yes, and then give them a couple of options. So let's say you were a website company and talking to somebody who wanted to transform their leads, you might say, so yeah, we can help you transform your leads. And the good thing is there's a couple of ways we could do this. You know, one way is this, it costs 100 grand. One way is this, it costs 70 grand. I mean, which of these two do you feel is most appropriate here? And so what happens is by doing the B, the benefit, straight away people think, yes, this is in my interest. And giving people options, what you're doing is you're getting away from a yes, no choice. Because if you say to someone it's going to cost 100 grand, do you want it or not? You could say that with as much charm as you like. They could always say not. But if you say we've got two options, 100 or 70, which do you want? They're more likely to choose one. And if they say neither, then you could say, okay, well, that's fine. What would you suggest instead? And it becomes more collaborative. And the great thing about this, Brian, is you can use it at home. If I want my seven-year-old to go to bed, the biggest benefit for her is reading books because she's into that. So I say, hey, Maya, it's time for your favorite story upstairs. Do you want to go upstairs now or in five minutes? I don't mind. And you sound really nice, but what you're really saying is bed. <laughs> Fantastic. I think we've just appealed to a whole different aspect of the audience. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. So what what other great questions do you use to encourage um, an audience or a customer to sort of identify with, with the, the benefits of a product or a service then? Yeah, good question. I mean, there's various ones, but um, one of the ones I'll often talk about is um, sorry to give all these acronyms like BO. Another one is often uses OMG, which is objective measure gain. So I ask three questions. Firstly, objective. What are your objectives here? Or if I want to use normal language instead of corporate language, I might say, what are you looking to achieve? And they say, uh, uh, we want um, our website to be more impressive. And then I ask the M question. How would you measure that then? How would you know it's being more impressive? Um, and they say, well, you know, we'll get more leads in and um, we'll annoy the competition. I say, OK, well, now I'll do the G, which stands for gain. And then I say, OK, and assuming you could get more leads in, I mean, what, what are leads worth to you? And the customer says, oh, well, they're worth like 50 grand. Every sale's worth 50 grand to us. So that's what I do. I go through OMG. So I say, what are you looking to achieve? Well, I want an impressive website. How would you measure that? Well, it'd be more leads. And what would the gain be? Well, it's 50 grand a sale. So all of a sudden, not only have I found what's important to them, I found how they'll measure it, and I found how much it's worth. Because if you think from it from a customer's point of view, very often what happens with customers is you put in a proposal saying, I'm going to give you a website which will be amazing, and that's quite a grey benefit. But then the cost is very black and white, and it's going to cost exactly £23,000. And probably there'll be a spreadsheet giving forensic detail of where the £23,000 comes from. So the customer knows war and peace on why it costs £23,000, but they don't know the value they're getting as a result of it with a pound sign next to it. So they've got a grey benefit, but a black and white cost. Well, that doesn't make any sense from an influencing point of view. You want a black and white benefit. It's 50 grand a sale. You could make one a day here. That's like, I can't do the math, um, four million pounds a year. Um, and our cost is only like 23 grand. Brilliant. Yeah, that makes absolutely, that makes perfect sense. And a long time ago, you um, you actually helped me with this, Andy, and it's something that I've never forgotten. Um, 
in terms of how you actually do put that on paper. And what I like, again, you go back to simple language that everybody can understand. It's what you want, evidence we can deliver, or you know, I'm sure you can simplify that, that even more. Yeah. So we're starting to get in the realms of social proof and backing up, you know, that thing that you want, that you value so much for these reasons. Yeah. Um, we can do that. Um, we can do it in a number of ways. Um, so choose one. But just for your peace of mind, um, let me tell you a story about how we've done it before and how, how successful it was kind of thing. And it's, 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 that, it's that sort of mindset and framework that um, that's where the opportunity to introduce the sort of purpose-told story is. Is yeah, that, absolutely. Right? Yeah, it's a good way to put it. I mean, I, I, I love story time. I mean, what's that poem? Facts tell, stories sell. Yeah. You know, so, um, you know, someone might say to you years from now, um, oh, didn't you do um, a, a recording with a guy called Andy Bounds? And you'll go, Andy Bounds? And they'll go, yeah, the guy with the blind mum, because <laughs> yeah. it's a story. Uh-huh. And you'll say, what about his cutting-edge OMG technique? What about his B.O. wonderful clothes? You go, I've not a clue about that, but his mum was blind, wasn't she? Because stories are the most engaging thing. Um, Now, when you think about it, if let's say you're talking to a customer and they want a website that's going to trigger leads worth 50 grand a pop, and and then you say, well, I can help with that. There is no better or more engaging or more differentiating way to do that than to tell a story of when you've done it before. Mm. Yeah, so when you say, this is exactly how we can help. So you know you're looking at... um, uh, increasing your market share and then you tell the story but you do it in reverse so you don't do the normal case study thing this was a client we worked with this was the background this was the work we did this is what the website looked like and at the end of the day the market share went up 15% because if you build up to the main point people switch off it's mm. quite boring if you talk about the background of another company that I don't give a toss about <laughs> and the word background is boring anyway but if you say to somebody I'm looking to increase sales I go oh, we can help you do that I mean I helped someone increase their sales their market share by 15% the other day and what happened was this and then you tell the story in reverse so stories are incredibly powerful. They're engaging. Um, they're the best proof you've got that you can help this client. Because you could tell me every website you've ever done, but that doesn't give me any comfort. You can make my sales go up. But when you tell me a story about when you've helped someone else's sales go up, well, that's very compelling. It's differentiating because no other person in the world has got this story. Um, but the thing I like most of all, it's just more interesting Selling can be quite boring. If you ask many salespeople, have you ever stood in front of a slide that says, founded in 1922, and thought, kill me now? (laughs) I think we all have, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Well, don't do that. Don't talk about your past. Nobody cares. Talk about their future and prove you can get them there by telling wonderful stories. Brilliant. Now, um, obviously, I'm totally bought into to that sort of uh, approach. But um, similarly, Andy, I've also... I've also been sat there staring blankly at somebody whilst they tell a story that they think is interesting, (laughs) but actually I'm just thinking about what I'm going to have for my tea and all that kind of stuff. So, so there's some pitfalls to it as well, isn't there? So, how do you avoid being that guy? Okay, yeah, great question. Um, So, a couple of things with this. Firstly, um, you've absolutely got to practice your stories. There's, there's, there's a feeling I think sometimes people have that stories aren't quite corporate, therefore I don't need to give it corporate practice levels. Okay. Um, if you're going to tell a story, you've got to practice it loads of times so it flows naturally and it doesn't meander on. 
So I don't want to burst your or any of your listeners' bubble here. I've told that story about my mum before. Yeah, <laughs> really? and I've practiced it a lot of times because I, I mean, I could tell her loads of things about her. I've known her. How old am I now? Forty-seven. I've known her for forty-seven years. There's a lot of stuff in there, but what you do is you just find the things that will resonate. So, so you've got to practice it. But the other thing I find with stories is there's got to be a very clear point. So if you like, if you think your life is, if you think of how big the world is, you've got your own little life. Your little story has got to have a big point. So your little story's got to have a big point. And I've seen a lot of people with their little stories where they think their little stories are wonderfully interesting. I remember seeing a TV presenter once tell me how, telling this audience how she overcame a fear of heights and she saw someone who gave a hypnosis on overcoming a fear of heights and then she did a bungee jump and she said, and there I've done it. And everyone thought, I couldn't care less about your fear of heights. I don't even know who you are. So it's a wonderful small story, but there was no big point. But I thought in a minute she'll say, and this is how you overcome your fears, ladies and gentlemen. But she didn't say that. It was just basically a rant about her fear of heights. So um, if you are going to tell a story, practice it, make it interesting, make it personal. You know, talk about it's much more interesting for people to talk about my mum than about some business award I've won, which is a bit annoying for me, but that's the way it is. Um, but also, you want to make sure there's a macro point to it. So if, for anyone who's listening here, let's say you're going to trot out a story to a potential customer today. They're interested if you can help them sell more. Then your macro point is that you can help them sell more. So yes, do the micro detail, but don't do war and peace about the story. Just say enough so that they go, oh, you could help me too, couldn't you? Okay, so because I was going to ask, how do you make sure that the big point you're going to make is relevant and interesting to to your to your audience. Um, um, so two ways: um, either asking or guessing. <laughs> um, asking, you say to people, "What's most important?" So if you don't want to do all that OMG rubbish, you just say, "What's most important to you?" And they say, "Sales." And then you say, "Well, I can help you sell more, like I did with so and so." So asking is much better than guessing. Um, guessing is the other way, and it can be an extremely educated guess. Um, but I've yet to find a better, um, better way to achieve anything in life, really, than asking questions. Um, so, I mean, this is the final piece of advice, which, that I ha- the big section I wanted to talk about, about influencing. Um, asking questions is very important. Let's say someone says they want a proposal from you. Mm-hmm. Um, I-, I would strongly advise never say, brilliant, and go back to the office and write one. What you say is, brilliant, can definitely do that. I don't want to give you stuff that's irrelevant. So let's quickly agree what you want in the proposal. And then that way I can just write that. So in effect, you're saying to somebody, what what do you want in the proposal? What are the headings? Now, if you ask somebody, what headings do you want? They'll say, I want ABC. Then you go home and write the proposal ABC. Can you see they're more likely to open it because you've asked them what they want in it? Of course, yeah. Yeah? Of course. Um, If you, um, so I was doing a a keynote, very fortunate to working in Los Angeles last week and I was doing um, the keynote's about communication. I mean, communication covers everything in the world apart from when you sat on your own not talking to somebody. You know what I mean? Every other thing you do is communication. So they wanted a keynote on communication. I said, what do you want me to talk about? And they said, well, you're the expert. And I said, well, yeah, I am, but I don't know anything about you lot. And there's 500 of you. So what are your biggest challenges with communication? Well, uh, what are the things that waste most of your time? What are the things that when you wake up in the morning and look at your diary and you think, oh, I cannot believe I've got a day of this. And when you start asking questions like this, you get really good emotive responses and that gives you the structure of what to say. So the best way 
to tell great stories that resonate is to find out what resonates most. And almost always the best way to do that is asking questions. <laughs> it's quite straightforward, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, annoyingly simple. Yeah, I had, I had this, um, you do this to me a lot, by the way. The yeah. other day, which I wasn't quite sure if they meant it as a, <laughs> as a compliment or not. I said, I'm never sure when I listen to you if you're a simpleton or a genius. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm leaning towards the former. <laughs> I remember something you uh, you mentioned uh, in passing about twelve months ago. It's, um, you were on some sort of steep learning curve, and that sort of it really resonated with me. And you said, "I'm constantly amazed at how how stupid I was three months ago." Yeah, and uh, it's. I mean, it's, I guess it's uh, it's a sign of um, really good progress. But um, <laughs> yeah, I've uh, I often think about that and constantly look back and think, yeah. I'm, uh, I was stupid three months ago. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'm any less stupid now, but that's a different story. <laughs> it's just a different form of stupid, isn't so, it? Yeah. Yeah, thanks for validating um, that, Andy. But it's a use. It's, I like that sentence. You know, I'm constantly amazed by how stupid I used to be because what it does is, if if you don't think that, then it means that you haven't developed hugely. So I have no problem with looking back, thinking, "What on earth was I thinking?" Um, and you know, I believe with things like this that you, with business and with life, and you know, with my family and all that sort of stuff, that there's no such thing as a mistake, really. If you do something that that was that turned out not to be a good idea, and don't do it again, that's what you call learning. It's not a mistake. Yeah. Um, if you do something that turns out not to be a good idea, and then you do it again and again and again, well, that's not a mistake. That's just stupid. <laughs> so there's no such thing as a mistake. It's either learning or stupid. And it's you know, when you look at businesses, I don't know that. They have the Monday morning update meeting that everybody hates, including the person who's who chairs it. And everyone who goes to it always turns up late and everyone hates it. And you just say, well, that's becoming stupid now. Like, stop doing it. Like, change something. Like, shorten it. Uh, have it outside. You know, like, change the agenda. Get, get someone else to do it. Bring cake in one day. Just anything at all that is different. Um, so, yeah, I have no problem with thinking I used to be stupid. The, the alarming thing is that I still think I know two weeks from now I'll think I'm stupid today. But that's okay. <laughs> So, um, Andy, just um, I want to I want to touch on something which uh, I've I've talked about in the past, but you've you've got a very as I say very simple way of, of putting things and a, a very sort of elegant way of explaining things as well. Now, when when you're when you're telling a story uh, that's very relevant and it's on point because you've asked great questions, how do you make sure? Um, your audience doesn't just think, yeah, yeah, I get it, they can help me, but actually the feeling is you're just showing off. Yeah. Again, love these questions. Brian, you're very good at this. You should do this, you know, for a living. <laughs> um, so um, it depends on the size of the audience. If the audience is small enough to allow this to happen, prepare questions as part of your story. Now, I'm going to say that again because most people have heard that advice before. Prepare questions as part of your story. In other words, when people practice stories, they often practice what they're going to say as yeah. a bit of a rant. Uh-huh. But if you don't practice what you're going to ask, you tend not to ask anything. So you just keep talking. Um, so let's say you're telling a story and you think, like, when in this two minutes can I actually stop talking and ask them a question? So, um, so I did this with... Um, customer the other day they were doing a sales pitch and they had a story to say and they were conscious this story was quite complicated it was going to take five minutes so I coached them on some questions so they started running through this this story and there were four main benefits they thought this story was going to bring mm. so what happened was after the four benefits came up and they put it on a beautiful slide like you'd expect and they'd use smart art so it was in colorful boxes and all this and then they said um so before we carry on they're the four main benefits that we see um 
does do they resonate with you? And the client was saying, yes, they did. And I said, which of these four are most important to you? Um, well, number three. All right, cool. Why is that? Well, because of what's going on. All right, so what's the problem with that then? Oh, well, it's costing us loads of money. All right, so how do you know about that then? And so what we did is we scripted loads of questions so it no longer became a five-minute story, shut up and listen to my monologue, <laughs> and then you can monologue back to me. The story became something that triggered a dialogue but that's only going to happen if you prepare questions. So these guys have literally written down things like, ask them which of these four are most important. Oh, really? Why is that? No. Tell me more about that. See, I've, I've done a little bit of that in the past, Andy, and I've been caught out for a couple of reasons. Um, one, I guess you've just, you've just touched on it there. So there's four boxes. Which of these resonate with you? Mm-hmm. Um, now, there's a, there's a distinct difference between which of these resonate with you and does any of these resonate with you? Because there's the danger of going, well, none of these resonate with me or, or, or going off a, a tangent. So how do you build in questions to your story and keep your story on, on track? Yeah, okay, cool. Um, so, I mean, this is, this is getting a little bit more advanced now, but it's still, it's still relatively straightforward. What you do is when you're preparing your stories, get a piece of paper. So I've actually got a piece of paper now. This is useless for everybody else because this is an audio recording, but trust me, everyone, I've got a piece of paper. Here it is. And what I do is I write a question at the top and then I flowchart down what the answers could be. So at the top, I might write here, so of these four um, options, um, which one resonates the most? So I'm writing here four options, which resonates the most. Now, I think, what are the answers they could give to that? So I do one line down. So if it's a family tree, that's the big granddad at the top of the page. So I now do go down to the parents. One of the answers could be one of the four. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Another answer could be none of them. They're all rubbish. Get out. <laughs> yeah? Or another one could be, I don't know, a bit of a mix. Yeah, and there's no other answer, really. It's either going to be one of them, none of them, or I don't know. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah fair enough. So I've now got this family tree which says four options, which resonates, and I know that they're th- going to give me one of three kind of answers. If they say it's one of the four, then I know I'm going to start scripting my second question, which is, oh, really? Why is that? Yeah, I'll probably say it that high for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> if they say none of them then I'm going to think I need to say something which keeps me as top dog. So with that, I'm probably going to say, oh, I'm glad I checked. What do you think will be more important then? Mm. Yeah, cool. Now, I'm glad I checked is a real good thing. So if ever you say to somebody, is there anything you're worried about? And they say, yeah, the price or yeah, the capacity or yeah, the yeah, the yeah. Don't matter what they say, always respond, I'm glad I checked. Tell me a bit more. Yeah. Yep. If they were to say, I don't know, then again, it, I'm going to script. I'm going to say, well, I'm glad I checked. In my experience, people usually prefer one or two. How does that stack up? So it doesn't really matter too much what they respond because I know what I'm going to say and I know my answer to any of their options is going to be great. Cool. And I guess if, if you find the question, the sort of granddad thing at the top, is slightly too open-ended. And one of the options you just really don't like and don't want to go down that route, I guess that forces you to change your language at the top as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and you might decide not to give that option as well. It's like <laughs> yeah. when, I'm, when I'm asking Maya when she goes to bed, I don't say, do you want to go to bed at 7 o'clock or 10 past 7 or midnight? 
you know, why would I do that? It's just ridiculous. So if there's an option you don't want, keep it off. Be, keep it off the slide because if you say which of these do you like, if they say none, say which do you want instead, and they say one that you can't do, mm-hmm. then then again, you always go with glad I asked. Go, glad I asked. Um, at first thought, we might have some challenges with that. But let's just explore this a bit more because I'm sure there's something we can work out here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so yeah, it's just knowing sense. what to say. And so some people listening to this might be thinking, oh, it's all right for him. He's got all the phrases. I promise you I wasn't born with this. And <laughs> um, what I've done is I've sat and I've thought a ridiculous length of time. So things like, I'm glad I asked. When I first met you in 2007, I don't think I knew that for it. I hadn't thought of those three or four words, I'm glad I asked. So it probably isn't in the jelly effect. <laughs> because I hadn't thought of it then. But I realised that sometimes when I asked a question and something negative came up, uh-huh. uh, I sort of um, wilted a bit and it felt like it was going to kick off in some way. So I needed to soften it. So I'm glad I asked work for me. So the thing to do, if you have these phrases, happy days, but if not, just spend a bit of time thinking, what can I say when it matters? You know, what can I say? What word for word am I going to say? And as you can listen to this now, Brian, you will know that if I'm in a conversation with a potential customer, yeah. I'm not worried about anything because I'm either going to say, I'm glad I asked, or can you explain that a bit more? Or, oh, I've not heard that before. What do you mean by that? Or, oh, that's really interesting. Tell me more about that. Brilliant. So I've got all these things, so I'm just not worried about whatever comes up, but only because I've scripted and practiced. Yeah, no, that, I think that's really good advice. And, you know, as you say, if nothing else, it gives you some breathing time and thinking, and it gives you that confidence as well. Yeah. Um, Cool. Now, you do this naturally, Andy, but some people struggle with it, um, and especially if you practice and practice and everything's sort of worked out. Um, there's, the, there's the possibility that it might come across a little bit wooden, or um, you lose a little bit of your personality. Uh, in it. Any advice to make sure that, um, that that isn't lost? It doesn't come across dry? or Yeah, sure. So, um, it's worth... It's worth practicing. It sounds strange, this, and you want to do it when nobody can hear you, but practice it out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, and then practice it out loud in ways that will make sure it doesn't go wooden. So I tend to find two things work. It either do it with someone else, maybe someone you don't know from work too well. So I might say, ask my um, one of my teenagers to tell me, or my wife, or my PA, or... Uh, you know, someone who maybe isn't going to be in the meeting. Mm-hmm. So I might tell the story with them. The other thing is, if you don't want to involve somebody else, because often people can feel nervous about that, um, is practice it, but practice it over the top. Um, now, <laughs> that, that you don't want anyone to hear you do this. But let's say I, I want to talk, st- talk through a story about the keynote I did last week and I was nervous about doing it. Then I would probably practice like this. So last week I was in America. It was amazing. I did this keynote with like 500 people. It was great. And just go completely over the top. And what happens if I do that, That I get used to speaking with it with energy. So then when I come to do it on the day, I'd never do it like that because everyone starts throwing things at me. But also by having done it, I've broken my patterns of woodenness. Yeah. So on the day, I'll probably say, I was in LA last week and I came up with this keynote and it, and it just comes out with energy because I've practiced over the top. Brilliant. Brilliant. Do you know, I'd love, uh, I'd love to see sort of yeah, fly, fly, fly the wall. <laughs> footage of that that'd be yeah, maybe not Brian <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe that can be the return interview I don't know we'll do the whole interview uh, with, with a little bit more energy uh, Andy <laughs> I'm sure people are going to listen to this a number a number of times and sort of um, and uh, you know sort of put, put a lot of this into into um, into practice because a lot of sort of, sort of um, tactical sort of actionable stuff here now um 
This is all well and good for doing things face to face and in in person. I know that's the majority of what you, what you do, but um, delivering um, content that is repeatable, like video or even even sort of headlines in copy and that kind of stuff. How um, how does any of this sort of translate? Because you do a lot of work with sales teams. Um, and they use their communications skills, and at some point, then it does have to translate into paper and other form, forms of communication. How, how do you how do you advise people take these actionable um, bits of advice and make sure that it translates? Okay, so um, various various things come to mind. I mean, the the main one is, as you say, my expertise are much more on sort of face to face rather than face to strangers yeah so so like say writing a brochure is not particularly my thing though i've worked with a lot of marketing agencies and a lot of direct mail experts and so on so i know quite a bit about it compared to the man on the street but it's not my sweet spot as such the reason i know a lot about say proposals is i think a proposals is basically a written verbal chat yeah because you've had the verbal chat you've agreed everything you just sling it down in writing yeah but the general rule of any communication is this. Number one, you say something that appeals to their self-interest. Mm-hmm. Number two, you then start building your case. And then number three, you ask for the sale. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, I mean, that's the general rule of doing If you look at any advert, it's the same. The headline has something which draws you in. Then the copy makes a persuasive case. And at the bottom, it says, click here to buy it. So it's always the thing like, you know, get, get the excitement up, build your case. But there always has to be a call to action at the bottom. Um, uh, you'd be able to speak to people who know a lot more about marketing stuff um, than I do, but they tell you the same thing. They probably use longer words, uh, <laughs> but it'd be the same thing. Your headline's got to work. You then have copy that builds the case, and then you ask for the sale at the bottom. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting just to get your your view on that because I know that's not your uh, main area of expertise, but it's interesting that when uh, I'll talk to people who are more um, – expertise is, is more in the, in the written format or video or whatever we typically do hit upon the sort of the three act structure in in many different sort of guises if you like and you've you've just perfectly articulated exactly that um you know but but i think there is a, an interesting crossover with um sales and presenting yourself and then capturing that so it can be seen online and i think um without practice and without structure um, a brand can just be reliant on those people with the ability to to do it. And um, how, how important do you think it it is for a brand to be able to sort of capture that effective communication uh, and and arm salespeople and marketing people or, or whoever uh, with with those messages? I mean, how how do you how do you build scale in into sales teams or marketing teams when when you when you're talking to them? Um, uh, well, uh, I would say what you said there is, is essential. If you if you don't have anything other than face-to-face, I mean, that was the old model, wasn't it? You used to have salespeople driving up and down motorways all day long. Um, you know, now we're blessed by having lots of other sorts of technology, mm. um, so it doesn't need to be face-to-face, and it can be face-to-face remotely with the, I mean, incredible technology that, that exists now for video conferencing and so on. But the trouble is if your face always has to be there, then it is finite how much you personally can achieve because there are only 24 hours in the day and whether you're video conferencing or driving or even if you could teleport, you've only got 24 hours in the day to do your stuff. So to make um, you scalable and to leverage your brilliance, anything that records what you do 
in an appropriate way and gets it out to appropriate people has got to be a good thing. You know, obviously quality counts and so on, but but why wouldn't people do that? Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when I when I wrote my first book, I uh, I've always had a passion for communication because of my mum, I guess, but I've never had a passion for writing. You know, it was never something I'd never wanted to be an author when I grew up, like a lot of people, mm-hmm. a lot of authors do. It was a burning ambition. I didn't have that, um, but someone made a very valid point that you know um, they might not be able to. Um, afford to see you face to face they might not have the time to see you face to face you might not have the time to see them face to face they might prefer reading stuff they might want to know some background and you need to you know you need you need to get a book out there and then I did the book and then people said well that's okay but sometimes people don't have the time or the headspace or the money to read a book so therefore we started doing weekly tips and then sometimes people say well weekly tips are okay but I like seeing your face but I don't want to pay for your face so can I get some videos then and then we did a monthly online video club and, and so it so I mean that's just an example from my own business, but 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 you and people who are listening to there, you just think the people who we're speaking to, where do their eyes tend to go, and how can I get my face there? <laughs> yeah. So where do their eyes normally go? Oh, they normally go to Management Weekly, right? Well, do something to get your face there, right? To the editor of Management Weekly, whatever it might be. But that's always the way. So always think, who do I want to speak to and where do their eyes go? Don't sit in your room thinking, what do I want to say? I'll tell you what, I'll write a book on it. I'll tell you what, I'll self-publish. I'll tell you what, I'll spend £100,000 making it brilliant. And I'll tell you what, I'll stack them in my garage till the world suddenly guesses they're there. <laughs> oh, fabulous, fabulous. Andy, we're, we're nearly out of time. I, I want, um, in, in, and like only you can do, I want you to um, to sum up what uh, the audience should remember. Other than uh, oh, that was the guy with the the, the blind mum. What is the um, the one piece of advice that you think the audience should take away from from what we've discussed today? Um. Uh, so always, always put things from the other person's point of view. The only way to do that well is to find out what's important to them. And the only way to do that well is to ask good questions. So um, that would be my advice. You've got to put things from their point of view. So you've got to practice the questions you're going to ask. But when you have got that in a good place, always offer options. Don't say, do you want it or not? Because that's when you say not. I've never said to any of my kids, do you want to go to bed or not? I've never said, do you want to tidy your room or not? I never say to a customer, do you want to buy it or not? You never say to your boss, can I have 10 minutes or not? You know, never, ever, ever do that. And maybe one simple way to remember this, Brian, is to just add a question word. So instead of saying, shall we proceed? You say, when shall we proceed? Or how shall we proceed? Brilliant. Fantastic. Fantastic. And if nothing else, I think um, I'll probably get a little bit closer to getting our Harrison in bed on time as well. (laughs) That's brilliant. Andy, the burning question on a lot of our audience's lips right now is how can they find out more about you? Um, Where where should they look on social or on on the web to um, to get to know you a little bit a little bit better? Okay, cool. So so if people um, want to hear more of my stuff. Um, we have the online video club, which is andyboundsonline.com. Um, it took us a long time to come up with that name. We were very proud of it. So andyboundsonline.com, and there's loads of stuff on there. Um, my website is just even easier. It's just andyboundscom 
Um, but then the normal stuff, if you go on Google or go on Twitter, you'd find me anyway. But andybounsonline.com or andybounds.com will be the best two ways to get hold of me. If anybody wants to email me, just email me through the website. I'm very happy to, I always answer every email I get. And, you know, so if anyone wants to, to chat anything through that we've discussed, then just drop me a line. Fantastic, fantastic. And Andy, at the risk of breaking your very first uh, rule and piece of advice, I want to thank you for your time. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for yours. Too. <laughs> thanks for readdressing that balance. Uh, I really enjoyed that. Thanks, thanks so much. Guys, that's it for another show. I'm sure you've really enjoyed that as, uh, as much as I have. I, um, I employ you to check out Andy Bounds' stuff. It's highly entertaining. Uh, but what I've also found is um, it's just packed with um, little tidbits of advice that you can use straight away. And, and these, these bits of advice have certainly made a difference in our business over the years. So that's it for another week. Uh, join me again next week. That's it. See you next time. So that's it for another week. But before you go, don't forget to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And for a chance to win a copy of our best-selling book, Getting Goosebumps, simply subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Or tweet us your thoughts using hashtag Getting Goosebumps. Would you like to pick the next guest? Let me know who you'd love to hear on the show by emailing me at brian at ph-creative.com.